A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. A focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone, welcome to Mentally Yours, Macho.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette. And I'm Ellen, and we're sitting in Bills in High Street, Kensington. This week we're talking schizophrenia. Now, our producer Sam thought that schizophrenia was the same as Tourette's, or he got them confused. Which is interesting, isn't it, Ellen? They're definitely not the same thing, as you and I both know, and also as Erica knows, who's our guest this week. That's right. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Erica Crompton. History of paranoid schizophrenia. Okay. Um, and today it's been re-diagnosed with schizoaffective because there's a mood element to it. Okay. What's the kind of difference between the two? Um, well, there's, there's not much difference really. I still have sort of um, clinical paranoia, um, but there's a mood element. So, for instance, um, even good stress can trigger it. So I had um, a good experience giving a lecture one time, and I got a round of applause, and it, it went to my head a little bit. And I started for a week afterwards, like I felt like I could fly. I had this um, amazing feeling that I could fly. And then when I confided in my partner, he was like, "Well, you know, that's not right, do you?" And then, and then I realised I was perhaps, you know, not quite right. And then I had um, a week of anxiety where. Um, where I was thinking, oh, I'm losing my mind again. Um, and, then, and then that's when, the, that was um, a couple of years ago, and then the diagnosis got changed. Um, but I kind of stick, uh, the, the, the medication has only changed recently, and it's still for schizophrenia. Um, but I've had, there's been quite a few diagnoses. Um, I've had um, bipolar type 2 was a diagnosis for one point, based on the fact that I booked some flights to Milan and was planning to go out there with just 50 quid. <laughs> nice. So that, that was one. Um, Paranoid psychosis was the first one I got. 
and um, I was later told that, that maybe it was um, not given paranoid schizophrenia then because um, the psychiatrist might think it limits your chances in that you, you would be stigmatised because it's such a scary word. So, so they would give a diagnosis more like paranoid psychosis. Okay. Is that like limit... When they say like protect your chances, is that with therapy or with treatment or just like out in the world? Out in the world, I okay. think. And uh, you know, they, they wouldn't want you to say that on a job application or something um, in case someone discriminated against you or yeah. you telling your friends that you've been diagnosed with this. But this, this was um, in 2002. Um, so this was a long time ago. And I think things have slowly changed um, a little bit. No, massively. Yeah, I feel like I think now so. people are slightly more aware of what schizophrenia even is, although it's definitely not to the same level as like depression and anxiety. Yeah. Because I think even I still don't really entirely understand what schizophrenia is and what it feels like. What does it feel like for you? Well, when I was, I, I mean, I, I came to the diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia in 2009, and um, I'd been off my medication for a while, um, and I. I kind of it happened quite quickly over the period of two weeks, and I I, um, I suddenly quit my job and I couldn't work anymore, and I didn't know how to apply for benefits or anything. So I was kind of money was running out, and I started cancelling trips and things like that. And I just I couldn't leave my room, and I started um, researching on on Facebook and online, looking at unsolved crimes, and I was convinced that um, I was the perpetrator of these crimes. It's yeah. like there's like things like with um, Pete Dock. Doherty was one of the guys and it, you know that he, he was meant to have committed crimes and I was, it's me it's me because I'd hung out in London before yeah um, but then you know I'd see a helicopter outside and I'd be convinced that that was looking in on me um, so that, that you know I couldn't I couldn't go anywhere you know I think I um, I went to I went to try I thought that there was a conspiracy to send me to Moscow so uh, beca because Why I thought Moscow? I thought what it was um, that everyone everyone knew that I committed these crimes yeah. and they all wanted me to, to leave to the coldest place in the world to die of cancer because I smoked. That's I, I came to that conclusion, but I wasn't talking to anyone, so I didn't. I couldn't. No one could talk me out of it. So did it make complete sense to you? All yeah, of I went. That? I went. I went to get the. Um, I went to get the like a travel guide and I walked in the shop and I thought that all the books were written about me and my dysfunctional family. And I was like, kind of, it made me wobble, you know, it's, it was um, it was really scary. But I had my suitcase packed to go to Moscow. What I hadn't found out is you need a visa to get into Moscow, and I hadn't got a visa. And that's the big problem, not yeah. all the other stuff. And the I didn't, I didn't go, I thought, I thought actually it'd be better, you know, I mean, it's very sad actually, because I thought actually it'd be better just to die than go to Moscow, because this is a terrible way to die, you know, it's, um, and it's not the answer. So, so there was a suicide attempt. Um, and at the last minute, I thought, I'm 29. I didn't get help because I thought I wasn't Britain's most wanted I was ill I thought no there's people that will help me as a criminal um, so so I called the ambulance and they came and um, I was in A&E for a while but I was still so paranoid that I'd done something there was um, there's police in A&E um, and I thought that they were waiting for me and I went to go out for a cigarette at one point and I was really surprised that there wasn't a media circus around waiting for me I mean I thought I was you know really big criminal um, and then I was eventually, after three days, um, I was transferred um, to a mental hospital. And um, I remember walking in and there was a woman, it, it smelled of 
it smelled of wee in there. It was disgusting. But there's a woman. She was like, "What are you doing here?" And I said, "I'm Britain's most wanted." And just the, the, the whole of the hospital, you know, the whole of the ward just burst out laughing. All the patients. I'm sure you are. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, Definitely and, and um, I just kind of I was a bit confused, but I got some medication straight away, yeah. and, and it did it did make a difference within two or three days. But that was the experience of um, paranoid schizophrenia without medication before I got the when I was just about to get the treatment for it. And um, I, was, I was out of the mental hospital in about a week. That quickly? That quickly, yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I, you know, I, wasn't, I wasn't quite right, but I think um, it was making it, when you're paranoid, you can't really be in groups of people. So yeah. the, 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 the ward environment was making it worse a little bit. So I thought I'd be better off. Um, and my dad kindly says that I could stay with him. Um, so I did that. Yeah, I went to stay with my dad. Did they give you like? Did they prepare you with the treatment plan? Yeah, afterwards? they did. Um, they got. They gave me a um, community care worker who would come and visit me and, and rationalise some of the thoughts. Um, that I, I says that I didn't want to because I was um, I was coming up to thirty and I says I didn't want to live um, with my my dad and his girlfriend. Um, so they they were going to sort me out a council flat, um, and they, they were just really helpful. Um, and it was just a case of kind of doing as little as possible, but I really thought life would be over. I didn't think I'd be able to work again. Um, and in many ways, I can't hold down a full-time job now anyway. Um, I didn't think I'd ever meet anybody and I've met someone, um, but just, you know, it was, it was quite a low moment. Yeah, I'm sure. Like yeah. we, even a week in hospital, I think that's definitely, takes you to a low place for sure. So you've mentioned the paranoia, and the moods, so the ups and the downs. Have there been any other sort of elements like hallucinations, voices, that sort of stuff? Hallucinations, yeah. When, yeah. I, when I was um, diagnosed with paranoid psychosis in 2002, um, my, my sister and my mum were finding it quite difficult to handle me living at their place. Mm. Um, so there was nowhere really to go that I could get a job, but I did have contacts in New York. So, um, so I ran away to New York and um, the, the hallucinations, because I was on my own out there with all the big buildings, it was like um, tactile hallucinations. So it felt like things were going soft when they weren't. It was like, oh. it, there's an advert, Mr. Soft, uh, from yeah. the, mint, the mint advert. I felt like Mr. Soft in the mint advert. <laughs> I really did. Was that pleasant? I mean, because that might be, I don't know, because that doesn't sound too scary. Like some like the... The paranoia stuff sounds. Well, I did. Scary, I did but... think. I did think it was a spiritual experience at the time. Mm. I thought, you know, this, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know about tactile hallucinations probably until around. Um, it was an interview the BBC did with um, Scorsese. Mm. I think his name is. He's a rapper with schizophrenia, and he was mentioning tactile hallucinations. And I was like, yeah, that's what I had in New York. You know, and I felt that everything had gone soft and. It was just, it was like a, a really intense form of uncertainty where I couldn't be certain that the chair I sat on wouldn't fall down. Mm. So let's be honest, like the word schizophrenia, I think a lot of people are quite scared of it. I mean, to be honest, the kind of stuff that you've talked about so far, because um, as you know, I've got bipolar disorder. I've had the sort of highs and the lows and the manic episodes and to, to an element, some of the paranoia. Um, but I think something about sort of the word schizophrenia, there's, there's kind of a more sort of fear around it have you experienced much sort of stigma around it or has it been all right yeah i have i mean i've been fired from jobs um schizophrenia and psychosis i think um 
there was um, an, epi an episode where I'd, I'd had a breakdown. I, um, someone had come to fix a fax machine in an office and I thought it was spy equipment and I broke down into tears and I later got the sack from the job. So I think... But I think, just for crying about that? Or? Yeah, it was speaking gibberish. They didn't, you know, I was talking about my delusions about being a criminal and it didn't make mm. sense to them because I was just a little girl yeah. from a little village, you know, so why would I be this, this most wanted criminal? It didn't make sense to them. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think a lot of the fear stems from misunderstanding. I remember I was in, um, in a bar for someone's 50th birthday um, just after I'd got out of hospital and a guy came up to me and um, I, I'd been doing some volunteering for people with convictions. And he says, well, actually, you know, I'm not really afraid of criminals. It's the people in the asylums I'm afraid of because you never know what they're going to do or when they're going to turn or when they're going to strike. And I felt so sad. And I thought that I think that's what it is. And I spoke mm -hmm. to my psychiatrist about it. And I says, why? Why would someone say something like that? Mm. And he says, it's just um, it's just the not knowing mm. that makes people nervous. You know, yeah. not, not know if you if you don't know your own mind then it, it makes people nervous. Also, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think probably like the film industry has got quite a lot to answer for and sort of TV shows because a lot of the time people with mental health issues are shown as being violent. And I think sort of if, if someone hasn't thought, thought things through, they'll sort of say someone has schizophrenia and it will just be sort of, I don't know, someone will do something violent or, and rather than sort of having them sort of have sort of a motivation, it might be, you know, they're mentally ill or something. And also with schizophrenia, I think it's very much like it's just hearing voices or it's split personality yeah. disorder. They do. Oh yeah, we haven't. Sorry, we haven't talked about that, have we? I should have. Mm. Yeah, that's like the but most common thing, I think. Yeah, I can't believe we haven't sort of touched on that because I think a lot of people believe that it is you've you've actually got two personalities. You know, my mum still <laughs> thinks that about me because um, I went round. I've had an episode recently with a med change, and I went round and I was feeling quite delusional. Um, I was just thinking that I was getting messages from angels when, I, you know, when, uh, when someone else spoke that I didn't know or, or from the radio or something. Mm -hmm. And I says, how do I seem to you, mum? And she's like, you're just not yourself. It's like, it's like there's two of you. Mm -hmm. So, so even, even my mum, who has known me for all these years, uh, might, might fall for the... You know, even my family can't handle it. And, I, you know, I can, I can see that it would be quite hard to watch someone be completely immobilised in bed with this kind of, you know, I look very drawn and, and losing weight quite quickly. I think it must be quite hard to watch someone go through that. Mm. So overall, how do you stay well? Walking. Um, I'd say eating sensibly, but that flew out the window <laughs> with the recent episode. Uh, but walking's very good. Um, mm. Therapy I found very helpful and um, mind gave me 10 free sessions recently. That's brilliant. Oh, great. Um, and they says you can go back whenever you feel you need to, which I thought was excellent. Mm. How often do you see a counsellor? Um, once a, well, I finished that in, a, in February, but mm. once, um, once a week I was doing it. And mm. I'd say even therapy going back to th 2012, I still draw on that and think about what the therapist told me today. It was mm. really helpful. Was there a particular kind? Because mm. we've sort of written about all the different sort of... Yeah, compassion-focused therapy. Oh, what, so it's, what it's is being, that? being kind to yourself. It's used a lot um, for, I think, people that have a lot of self-shame. Yeah. And, but that she taught me um, to do this happy book. So it's kind of... Um, I think I wrote about it recently, but I, um, I keep all the nice emails and texts and... You know, if I've cooked a nice meal, I'll get my partner to write me, me a thank you note. And I keep all this in a folder. So, because low mood is what I suffer from a lot. And I get very, you know, I'm in bed by eight o'clock usually. Mm. Um, so I keep that folder to look at when I'm feeling down. 
Been, I've never heard of compassion therapy. For yeah, that that's what she taught me. It was a really, it was a really good tool. But yeah. um, she was just such a such a sage anyway. You know, I think I got really lucky with the therapist, and I hadn't. Wherever I'd lived before, and I'd kind of roamed around and moving all the time, um, I never really got access to a good therapist before, so I think it was a postcode lottery. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Did yeah. you have kind of bad experiences with therapy before? It's, it's hard to say whether it was um, bad experiences on, on a... Because I kept moving around every yeah. three months. I mean, the, the, that year that I was um, hospitalised, I'd, I'd lived in seven different places in a year. So... They, you can't really get set up for therapy. Exactly. When and you're I think doing it that. needs to be consistent and constant yeah. as well. And then you were talking about going through med changes. Can you t- kind of talk us through your medication history? Like when were you prescribed them? How did they help? How come you had to change meds throughout? Well, that that's quite. It's been quite a revelation because yeah. I started them in 2002 on um, a dose of antipsychotic medication. The, uh, the uh, it's an old generation one now. Okay. Um, and then. It just went up and up and up and up and up. And then when I had a relapse recently in May, um, they were like, we're gonna have to change you now. And um, it was, my prolactin levels were very high. I'm not okay. I'm not sure what that means. Yeah, I have um, no clue. But apparently it's not a good thing. So they needed to change it anyway. So they put me on a new generation antipsychotic now, which you take a, li- a much smaller dose um, than, than the older one. So I'm just kind of trying to stabilize on that yeah. at the moment. Just waiting and seeing if it, takes yeah basically. it shouldn't take too long but you know i was kind of calling call it I was, I was thinking god when's this gonna end i was calling up the the mental health support line and they were like yeah just give it give it a week and <laughs> i think people don't realize how difficult it is to just kind of wait to feel better and wait to be stable it mm. must be really difficult well, actually, it was it was like um it was like some kind of paralysis where i just yeah. couldn't get out of bed and uh, um, i kept researching um lyrics and looking, I thought I was on the verge of finding the meaning of life, and I, I was like trying to find that through hip hop. <laughs> oh, of course, <laughs> if it's going to be any genre, it's obviously going to be hip hop. But it really did feel like I was going to, you know, I felt like I was making wonderful discoveries. <laughs> yeah. Are there any other kind of, when you look back at them, they seem funny? Obviously, they weren't funny at the time. Any other delusions like that or hallucinations? Yeah, when, when I was when I was um, just before I came really poorly, there was um, I'd been out at fabric clubbing mm. and I'd got into quite a state there. I leave the rest to your imagination. Yeah. <laughs> but the next day, I'd I'd, um, I'd woken up and I got this idea that um, I needed to rebirth myself. You know, I thought you know there's something wrong with me. I need to rebirth myself and sort of like. I thought that I needed to get the experience of being in the womb somehow. So I went out and I stocked up on Farley's rusks <laughs> and baby mashed up baby food. And I spent two weeks eating Farley's rusks and baby food and oh, trying to rebirth wow. myself. You know, that actually was a celebrity diet. It really? Was, yeah, <laughs> baby food diet. That genuinely, yeah. So I don't know if you were like ahead of the times with that. Yeah, probably. But, um, yeah. That's where they got the inspiration from. Yeah. I should have told someone at the time. I could have maybe marketed it, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't really laugh. But I mean, so no. that's all you were eating for two weeks. Rusks, yeah, they're quite tasty actually, because they're quite, they're quite nice. sweet. How did you end up getting to a point where, like, okay, I need to ask for help. I need to get help. Was that when you went to that hospital? That was when. That was when I went. When I first needed help, um, it was when I went to stay with my mum. Yeah. Um, and I was I was working as a receptionist there. And after I had the breakdown, 
in the reception and lost my job my mum says oh you know we're going to need to to get you in to, yeah. to see the doctor and it was him that says your thoughts aren't right but i remember being sat in the waiting room and um there was like bars on the window in the in the gp surgery's reception and i was convinced it was a message to me that once you tell the gp you will be behind bars mm. how old are you and this is all 22 right yeah did you have any experiences, do you think, of psychosis or mood issues in your childhood? I did things like uh, when I was at middle school, so maybe aged about 11, I, I would do things like I'd, inf- I'd, invent- I'd invented National Pizza Day when it didn't exist, and I said to the headmaster, you know, it's National Pizza Day, can we all order a pizza? And he was like, oh, that's, that's nice. You know, he didn't think that I'd just made it up just so I could have a pizza for lunch. So I, mean, I do things like that, roll, roller skates, you know, oh, it's, I'm going to go to school on my roller skates, you know, mm. and it was a bit crazy. Um, I guess when you do stuff like that when, when you're a kid, though, it's kind of like, oh, it's kind of, you know. Yeah, just kids. classic kid stuff. Yeah. And also, yeah, National Pizza Day does exist yeah, now. it's a real so, thing. Yeah. Does it really? Yeah. <laughs> you can get free pizza for real now. Yeah. yeah. I think it's really difficult to work out at what point okay this is just normal kid or teenage stuff and okay this is actually becoming quite a problem yeah i mean i I, after the therapy Mm. um i went in because i wanted to know why i had psychosis and how i can prevent it and Mm. the why um we looked at my parents acrimonious divorce which got quite violent at times um, and I think the trauma of that maybe got instantiated in the brain, but certainly it led to um, drug abuse and attention seeking. And, and then, I, you know, I ran away to London um, and got a really stressful job. And I think it all kind of built up like some kind of mental plaque or something over, the, over those um, teen, teen years. Um, you've mentioned your family in terms of sort of their reaction of things. How about friends? I mean, in this, late, this latest episode, I've discovered that, you know, they say you, you have five friends in life. Mm. And I'm like, OK, I've got those five friends. They've, they've stuck by me through mm. the last 20 years. Some of them knew me before I got ill and they, they still see me as that person. Mm. Um, and then there's others that I've made that were struggling when I met them at university. And so we kind of stuck together and, and then stayed friends with them. And um, it's just a shame they're all in London. <laughs> it takes mm. a breakdown to go. <laughs> to come and see them all but they've been really understanding and they talk to me and, and everyone's got a different kind of um you know viewpoint on, on on what it is that i'm feeling and sometimes you find that they can really oh that's that's normal that is erica mm. what do you think it means um to be understanding of someone with schizophrenia I think it's about the words that you communicate to that person. So rather than um, if, um, if, for instance, I'm not feeling very well and I can't go to the the party or, or the, the, the whatever it is, um, rather than say, oh, you're flaky, you never turn up at, to events, just say, oh, I understand, you know, and try and try and show a bit of empathy and put yourself in that person's shoes, you know. You, <laughs> Um, and listen to the person as well and what, what they're going through and try and empathise and put yourself in their shoes. Also, I mean, what would you like to say to anybody who's recently being diagnosed as having schizophrenia? Because, again, I still think that word probably carries a lot of fear for people. Yeah, well, um, don't read the tabloids or believe what you read in the tabloids. Um, and don't... Don't worry about your future because um, because there is life after you know it's not a life sentence um, and there is support available and, and you will make friends and you will meet partners and, um, and it, it'll be fine yeah I think you think it will be fine and um, get 
don't be afraid to ask for the treatment you need or, or if you need to talk to someone, you know, make that call. Well, we are really very angry about this shit. Yes, we are really very angry about this shit. So something I'm angry about is that tonight, and obviously you might be hearing this after a few weeks, um, BBC is airing this thing about how antidepressants might make people murderers. What? Yeah, it's about, you know, the guy who went into the Batman screening and killed people and was a mass mass shooter, mm. which is obviously awful. He happened to be on antidepressants. So obviously BBC has decided I'm going to make an entire show saying that antidepressants might be to blame for the deaths of lots of people, oh my which word. is, you know, great as someone on antidepressants and who has not murdered anyone and doesn't want to murder anyone. Yeah, um, someone who's also taken antidepressants herself and not murdered anyone. Yeah. I mean, that's two of us that hasn't murdered exactly. anyone. Exactly, and it's yet. interesting. Yet. Um, it's interesting because as far as I can tell, obviously I have not seen the show yet, so maybe it will surprise me and be amazing. But in the description, it mentions just two cases of people who have killed people and have happened to be on antidepressants, which kind of counteracts what we've just said, two people on antidepressants not killed anyone, and also kind of goes against all the people that aren't on antidepressants and have killed people yeah. or done other horrible stuff, and yeah. also people who kill people that are depressed and haven't had help yet and maybe would have not killed people if they had been on antidepressants. One thing that I've sort of mentioned time and time again is I think that... Um, a mind statistic that is really clear is that people with mental health issues are far more likely to be victims of violence than to actually be the perpetrators. Yeah. And I think that's such important to keep repeating that because it's so true. But also, I mean, there's, yeah, there's two sides to it, aren't there? There's just, I think it's fairly irresponsible by the sounds of things, but the huge numbers of people that are on antidepressants, there's that side of things. And then, yeah, yeah. There's, there's all the violent people out there who don't have anything, you know, I'm doing air quotes now, wrong, <laughs> wrong with them. Yeah, exactly. Or that maybe do have issues but haven't had them treated. And I think these kind of shows, and again, it could be sensitively done, but the reality is a lot of people won't actually watch the show. They'll just see the title of it, they'll read the description, mm. and what will stick in their minds is antidepressants make people kill other people. And if they're not experiencing mental illness issues they're going to be scared of people who are mm. and if they are they might be too scared to take antidepressants or ask for help mm. like I was put off taking pills for a very long time because I was told about all the terrible side effects and how it would like make me a you know mind dead zombie and make me an awful person all this kind of stuff and it took me a really long time to work through that and actually say okay I need medication and it's been really helpful mm. so anything that's saying don't take medication or people who take medication are bad I just think is so irresponsible and the opposite of what is needed right now yeah and that just that general making that link of depressed people are violent yeah. is just horrific really exactly and there's been enough of it we don't need any more like if you think about the number of films and tv shows as we were mentioning earlier that show people with mental illness as violent and dangerous and then think about the ones that actually show oh i'm a person with antidepressants and i found love and everything's going great mm. like or people in i don't know soaps that might just happen to have these things yeah actually that's probably unfair because i know soaps are doing great things now with people with mental health more issues. recently for sure but yeah films still pretty bad exactly so. and i get that it might not be as exciting like obviously 
I'm a person in a happy relationship, doing great at work on antidepressants isn't as exciting as murder, but it's better and it's more needed and it's more helpful. I don't think that, you know, over-dramatizing antidepressants and what they might cause for a teeny tiny minority, I think that's really irresponsible and just horrible and not necessary. Stupid crap, my brain has told me as poor I am. Oh, stupid, 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 stupid. The exact phrase that sort of pops off in my head sometimes, quite regularly, um, is, you could just kill yourself. Now, the thing is, when I sort of say that out loud, I think that sounds quite scary to people. But the thing is, if, if, if you've had that sort of thing in your brain for quite a long time, I find it, I don't, I mean, I'm finding it kind of funny now, but like it's been there so long and it's more just tedious than anything because it sort of pops up. It's, it, it's just like, I don't know, I'm trying to get some more distance from it at the moment. So I'm trying to do this thing where it pops up and I'll just go, well, my therapist says that I should sort of, sort of go, that's just a thought, that's fine. And like the mindfulness that I'm doing is similar. So you think, that's the thought. And you just sort of shrug it off. It's just like, it's not, it's not sort of, you know, it doesn't mean anything. It's just sort of there. But yeah, that's popped up quite a lot. And it's just, it's, a lot of the times, I think it's kind of funny because it, it'll be in response if I, to something like, something's gone a bit wrong. Oh, I could just kill myself. It's just like, sometimes I think if someone else was hearing that, they, they probably would find that quite funny. Oh, because yeah. it's just like, sure. you know, like something really minor might have gone wrong at work. Or, I don't know, I've got a bit obsessed about something in my love life or something. Oh, why don't you just kill yourself? And it's like, I maybe I just have a really horrifically dark sense of humour now from all this stuff. But, like, I think it's quite funny. Um, yeah. I think it is. Because I think it is genuinely, like, your brain acts like it's just a casual problem-solving thing. Like, yeah. oh, I don't really know what to eat for dinner. Just kill yourself. <laughs> then you won't have to deal with that issue at all. And like, I think it's absolutely down to just kind of dismissing it. Like I'm reading this book um, at the moment about anxiety and anxious thoughts, but I think they help with obsessive thoughts as well. Mm. It's just when they come in, you just kind of act as if that's a different person telling you that. And you're like, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And that's it. You don't engage with it, but you're like, okay, cool. Thanks brain. And then yeah. just kind of move on from it. That's the thing, because that's how it is at the moment. It's just sort of pops up maybe almost every day, but like, or every other day, but like, I should. I don't want to worry anyone. Like it's not. There's no intent there, but it does just pop up, and it's um, yeah. Like I say, it's kind of more kind of exhausting than anything. It's just like negative thoughts just sort of popping up, and um, yeah, I'm still doing the mindfulness thing, and like, rather than sort of get angry at those thoughts, like I say, or sort of go no, don't think that. I'm sort of envisaging sort of touching that thought with a feather and just sort of pushing it away it's just like it sounds so gentle and nice <laughs> when we're talking about suicidal thoughts yeah suicide eh yeah I think as long as you know and obviously they're speaking to everyone listening as well like those little like kind of funny problem solving things are fine but obviously you know that if it ever built up yeah you would talk to someone you would get help you would recognise okay this is becoming yeah this is not just I can't decide what to happen to now. I'll just kill myself. This is actually, like, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. You would get help for that. Oh, yeah. No, I don't want to belittle it. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, no, not at all. It's, um, if you are having sort of serious thoughts like that and you, uh, then you're sort of, like, the, the planning stage or, like, there's the intent there. Yeah. Um, maybe wasn't sort of clear enough about sort of the intent. I don't know, like, how much I should sort of go, go into that, but 
I've been in sort of those situations before where I've sort of, you know, decided how I was going to do it or very much did want to die or, you know, all that sort of stuff. That's... I mean, I'm already getting help sort of generally, but, like, yeah. that's when to sort of really, really get help and make sure you're sort of looking after yourself. So this is goodbye from mentally If you struggle with any of the issues discussed on today's programme or if you're struggling with any mental health issues generally and feel like you need help, please contact the Samaritans at samaritans.org or call them on 116 123. Thanks very much to our guest Erica Crompton and to our producer Sam Bonham and to lovely Lucy Baker for her wonderful jingles. Catch us again next week for more mental health related fun and in the meantime please follow us on Twitter. It's at mentally yours, yours spelt Y-R-S. You can also give us a review on iTunes and we would be eternally appreciative. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.